In recent years, the number of cyber attacks targeting agricultural companies has surged. The FBI has reported eight attacks since January 1st, 2021 on grain cooperatives alone. Everag's Mike Moore says ag retail is vulnerable to these attacks. Not only is it a target, I would say it's an easy target because we're underspending on technology and this ag industry at the ag retail level. Mike has been working with ag technology at EFC Systems, which is now part of EverAg, for the past 25 years. He says these threats have intensified and not enough companies in the industry have taken the necessary actions to protect themselves. Maybe three years ago, I would say we want to deliver the best possible customer experience. Now we've changed that. We want to deliver the best secure customer experience. So we add that word secure. Mike shares cybersecurity tips for companies of all sizes, from small farms to multinational agribusinesses, like going through the process of applying for cyber insurance, even if you don't plan to purchase a policy. Because through that effort, you're going to find a lot of gaps. Those gaps, in my opinion, should be how you say, here's how we're going to allocate and strategically apply those dollars that we spend. And that's going to help start protecting you know, your assets, your data and your technology assets. We're talking cybersecurity with Mike Moore of EverAg on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a minute to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor, Sound Agriculture. Many of you listening will be familiar with Sound Ag from when we featured CEO Adam Lytle on the show back in January, and it's a great time to talk about their source product because just about anywhere you look fertilizer prices are high and in some cases availability itself has been a problem so finding a better source of crop nutrients going forward is on top of a lot of people's minds well believe it or not that nutrient source might just be your soil Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields so you can apply less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. Source is a foliar applied biochemistry that activates soil microbes to unlock more nitrogen and more phosphorus. It works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use to wake up the soil. It's kind of like caffeine for microbes. Visit sound.ag to learn more. That's just sound.ag. And thank you so much to Sound Agriculture for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now back to today's episode. I've been wanting to do an episode on cybersecurity for quite a while now, but I just never really felt like I happened upon the right guest to talk about it. Then last month, I read an article on CropLife called The Top Six Questions Every Agribusiness Should Be Asking About Cyber Attacks and Data Security. And as I read what those six questions were, I thought, man, those are just about the exact questions that I would want to ask a cybersecurity expert on my podcast. So I noticed the author was Mike Moore of EFC Systems, which is part of Everag, uh, and that's who you're about to hear from today. Mike's the Senior Vice President of the Agribusiness Division at Everag and has been serving as such since 1997 under the EFC Systems brand. 
At the start of his tenure, his initial focus was on developing the Technology and Infrastructure Services Division to help guide and direct the technology needs for client partners, which are pretty much exclusively ag retailers. Although his responsibilities have broadened over the years, he's still passionate about helping ag retailers better serve their customers in a secure and efficient way. Now, before we dive in, just a little bit of context here. Uh, the most common type of cyber attack is what's called a ransomware attack. And this case, the criminal inserts some sort of uh, malware on your system. They get in through fake emails or, or ways that Mike is going to talk about here in a minute. But uh, they're able to essentially lock your system down until you pay them a ransom. Uh, the second type of attack involves more extracting data that they can then go and sell in the dark web. Uh, there's been some notable examples in recent years, including JBS, who you probably read about in the news, which reportedly paid hackers an $11 million ransom last year. And speaking at Husker Harvest Days just this past month, September 2022, FBI agent Eugene Cowell said an attack on a farm back in January 2021 contributed to the loss of nearly $9 million. So this is an issue from farms to agribusinesses and everywhere in between. And unfortunately, it seems to be getting worse in recent years. Mike and I talk about how these attacks happen, what to make sure you watch out for, and some really important tips for reducing your company's vulnerability. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Mike is talking about how real this threat is for the ag industry. Well, that's one thing we need to be clear on. Ag is definitely a target. I read an article that was kind of comical in some levels, and it was uh, talking about how these, they call them threat actors. That's a, a politically correct way of saying the bad guys, right? Those that are you know, creating these applications to cause harm and wreak havoc in environments. But these threat actors, the article, the general spirit of it was they have morals. I don't even know how those go together, but uh, as part of you know the morals, kind of the guidance of the article was kind of recommending or suggesting that uh, these threat actors aren't going to attack healthcare. They're not going to attack certain industries. And it was kind of common. I've been asked many times, is ag a target? And we obviously know it is, right? We've seen some pretty massive attacks you know over the years, and so we now know know that ag is definitely a target. And not only is it a target, I would say it's an easy target because we're underspending on technology in this ag industry at the ag retail level. So we become an easy target for these threat actors. And it's a numbers game. If I can throw my tools at 10 places and five of them stick, that's pretty good odds. But yes, most definitely ag is a target. I would say these threat actors, they don't have morals. You can't trust them. <laughs> Even if they say they're not going to attack an industry, why would we believe them? Right. Well, you mentioned underspending. Can you maybe give us a sense of what you're seeing from agriculture versus other industries that, that uh, maybe recognize that threat a lot more in our investing in it? Yeah. And, you know, we saw this big trend in healthcare when all the, the HIPAA requirements and those types of things, if you go way back, even in the banking days, go way back, you could think of all those, you know, kind of the technical tides that turned to get to the point where we are today to kind of secure and protect those environments. Ag is, is definitely behind on the spin side of the fence. And if we look at, you know, corporate America, we'll call it, and it's going to be industry dependent. So if, if we're looking at, you know, fintech, they may spend more than, than other industries. But I would say, you know, generally you're going to see in that two to 5% of gross revenues would be a pretty typical spend in corporate America. Conversely, on the, the ag retail front, we're about 06 
So 0.6, less than a percent of gross revenues are allocated towards IT budget. So you can see that that grossly underspending, it's like uh, leaving your, your house unlocked. You go out on vacation and you don't lock your doors. And as a matter of fact, you even leave your windows open. Let's make it as easy as possible. Hey, and, and by the way, here's the code to my safe to get to the things that you want in my house. You know, that underspending is equivalent to that. But that's what we see across the ag retail industry on a whole is less than a percent. Uh, I would say even some of the, the ones that are you know, on the heavier end of that spectrum, you're still not much over a percent. So that's where we are as an industry. And uh, there's some challenges with that. You know, some of the, the questions and comments that we get from you know, general managers and as we're you know, talking about this topic is there's like, hey, there's only so many margins you can extract out of you know, the, the services and products that we sell. When's enough enough? My target is, you know, say, okay, well, whatever your spend is, you need to back up and say, well, how do we best allocate those dollars? And what process do we need to implement knowing that this is our spend? So I'm not advocating that ag retail turns around and starts spending 5%. That's probably not realistic in some environments. There's probably some opportunities to allocate a few more dollars. And I'll tell you one of the big challenges in ag and why do we underspend on technology? I would generally say if we look at what are the cool things, it's equipment, it's new buildings, you know, it's kind of the expansion of those types of things. And we really don't think of, of technology until it's down. If you know of anyone that's went through an attack and they were down, it's, it's a nightmare. So really allocating and aligning your priorities with the dollars that you are spending is critical. And there may even be some other ways if you're limited on the dollars that you spend. You need to look at other options of segmenting your network, those types of things to really maximize the dollars that you spend. But to me, it's, uh, you know, it's bringing in all parties. You know, it's not just the technical guys. It's the technical, the financial, the business, potentially even the boards. Let's all have that conversation so we can say, here's the dollars we're going to allocate and here's how we're going to spend those dollars. Yeah. And I, I got to think, you know, some of the low allocation has to do with just not recognizing the risk. So maybe we could talk about what a cyber attack looks like exactly. And if you can give specific like case studies and examples, you know, we don't want to throw anyone under the bus, obviously, but it is helpful to learn from each other and learn from each other's experience and recognize this risk. So are there any examples or case studies that you could give us to give us a sense of what's possible out there so that we know what to protect ourselves from? Sure. And if we kind of look at walk through that process of what would an attack would look like, I would say initially it's going to come in as something under the radar. It's going to be undetected. About 91% of all cyber attacks relate from some level of a phishing email that I send you something that looks so enticing and you click it. And now we've installed some tools on your machine that are kind of sit there undetected. And that would be like like an email coming from what looks like me to you, for example, and saying like, hey, Mike, thought you might like this link. And it's some bizarre link that I think we've all probably got similar emails like that. That's right. Yeah, that, that is definitely right. And, and later on, we'll talk about some other rules of the road and maybe some helpful hints of, of how to avoid some of those things. But that's exactly right. You always hear that saying, it's too good to be true. When you get an email, it's too good to be true. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Don't click it uh, because it probably is too good to be true for someone. But yeah, so that's exactly right. So once those tools get installed, these threat actors just let it you know, kind of marinate, as I like to say. While it's marinating, they're kind of evaluating, you know, putting 
crawlers out on your network to see what's out there, what can we get access to. And honestly, looking at some of the websites, you might even view you know, what information you place on your, your own corporate website. Uh, but we almost give the roadmap to our organization. We tell who our, our financial people are, who our HR people are, the general managers. Some organizations even post their financials online, you know, where it's anybody can view it. Uh, so with that information, we can now target, if I'm a threat actor, we could target who are we wanting to attack. And there's a lot of users in the network or environment that they could care less about. They want to find social security, tax, EINs, all those types of things, bank accounts, anything that has sensitive information, uh, that's what they're trying to attack and find. Uh, so once those tools get deployed out in the network, generally it's going to be a Friday afternoon and you might get a, a message, somebody, you know, one user might get a message and it's generally going to be that source, that initial device that got infected. Uh, so that message will come out and that user is probably going to call the IT department and say, hey, my machine just said I had some attack and, and it shut down. And after that, you're going to start seeing this big domino effect of all systems. You might even see notices printed out on printers. All systems are going to systematically start shutting down. And these tools that got installed are going to start encrypting data on these systems to where ultimately your env entire environment is shut down. Uh, so you're not running any point of sale type activity, you're not doing any agronomy operations, you know, all systems are down, you know, at that point. But again, all that originated from what looked like a harmless email that I just clicked and said, oh yeah, I wanna follow up with Tim and make sure he has all this useful information. He needed something really fast. And what do they want? I mean, they wanna just make your life miserable and why attack this way? You know, that's a that's a great question. And, and there's really two sides of, of the cyber side of the fence. There's the one part of it is the ransom. That's the obvious part, right? Hey, we shut your systems down. Now everybody is excited. And how do we handle this? What do we do? You know, your tech departments are trying to, to clean up the infections, restore systems, all those types of things. Uh, but the ransom is one. That is one part of it. And the part that often gets overlooked is the data exfiltration. You know, I told you about that hibernation or that, that period that those tools are marinating. During that period, generally data is leaving your network. So those sensitive data, they're scouring all of your user files. They're trying to find those socials or EINs or bank accounts, anything that they can find that's juicy. They're going to collect that information and store it off site. So the data exfiltration part of it is actually just about as big as the ransom itself. But people think about the ransom because, oh, I got a ransom notice on this device, and that, that's the more tangible part. Or you may even hear in the media, uh, you know, XYZ company got hit by a ransom attack and they paid, you know, X amount of dollars to, to get things, you know, resolved. There's still the data exfiltration side of it. What data left my network? And then the, here's the challenge. Even if I paid a ransom, do you trust that they're not going to do something with the data downstream, even if you paid that ransom? You know, how do we trust that? You can't, you know, so, uh, but those are the two major areas of why would they do that? And yeah, that is kind of the, the unfortunate part. These guys are brilliant. These threat actors, these organizations are brilliant. They look for vulnerabilities that they can expose so that they can wreak havoc in an environment. And ultimately they're running a business. If I try to put my tools in 10 places today and five of them click it and three of them get infected and two of them pay a ransom, that's pretty good return on their investment. 
Uh, but that that ransom side of it is the only you know tangible side that we think about. You only start thinking about the data exfiltration side of it once you start realizing what data was taken from the network. And that's where you start getting maybe a little bit more concerned about was it customer data? Was it data about your team members? What level of data got lifted out of your network? And, and you know, in a, a worst case scenario, obviously you don't want them to have that data, but what's their business model with the data? What do they do with that to make money? Do they try to sell it back to you or you know, what exactly happens? Yeah, so they'll take the sensitive data and they'll try to sell it on, you may have heard the term dark web. Uh, so they'll try to sell it. They'll broker data. They're data brokers. You know, hey, I have a thousand social security numbers. Who's my highest bidder? I've got you know, these bank accounts or maybe it's a customer application. I have 5,000 customer applications that contains all this sensitive data. Who's the highest bidder? Uh, so they'll they'll try to sell and broker that data. And then who knows where it goes from there? I mean, again, it's another snowball. You can't contain it. Once it's out, it's out. Yikes. Well, you know, I know you're focused on ag retail specifically, but as you kind of zoom out to the broader food and ag ecosystem, do you see some subsegments more at risk than others? Or is it just kind of a general risk? Whoever doesn't have that investment into security is at risk. You know, are they looking for vulnerabilities? Or are they looking at it from kind of a industry segment point of view? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I, I would say there's you really one side of uh, of that that we have to consider. I mean, I, I would say anybody's a target. We know that going into this. Uh, however, if I'm looking for the path of least resistance, and I know that there's a segment, an industry that's underspending on tech, that's where I'm going to spend some time, energy, and effort. But definitely anybody's a target. Uh, and I would say there are other industries or verticals that are easy targets as well. There's other industries that are underspending on tech. But ag, I would say, is unfortunately known for that. And that's changing as we move through time. There are more dollars being allocated. That's kind of the unfortunate reality. And, and thankfully, I only personally know a handful of individuals that have gone through any sort of uh, cyber attack. And thankfully, all had 100% recovery. Uh, so those were good outcomes. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can delay all these technology upgrades and spins on what I would call a layered security model. You can delay it as long as you want. If you get hit, you're going to do all those years of delays. You're generally going to do all that in a short, compressed amount of time. You're going to spend and allocate the same amount of dollars, uh, but it's going to be in a, a much more stressful timeline. Uh, but you're going to do it. So again, map out that course over time and be strategic about how you spend those dollars and don't wait for a time of disaster to say, now we have to spend those dollars uh, because you're going to waste a lot of a lot of time, energy, and effort. And if, if I'm an ag retailer or any other agribusiness, you know, a lot of the software that I'm using is, is you know, third-party software, right? It's, so it's somebody else's platform that I'm using. It might be tempting to say, well, it's their software, so they kind of need to protect it, right? Um, as opposed to my own. I know you said a lot of it comes from spreadsheets and whatnot, but how does that work? Like, uh, you know, what is the responsibility of the tech provider and what is the responsibility of the kind of the company itself? Yeah, so again, some of that's going to get down to the individual tech providers, kind of their end user licensing agreement. And a lot of times there's situations where they would say, hey, you know, you're using the software at your own free will. I'm highly summarizing that, that end user licensing agreement, uh, but most of them will be along those lines. And, 
you start getting into, you know, hey, somebody got infected with whatever, you know, generally that's going to originate at that end user level at that organization, right? So it's not going to be something, you know, at that software provider level. Generally, the origination or the source point is within that organization. You know, you heard me talk about a layered defense model, and that's just a technical way of summarizing. You got all these things in place, whether it's firewalls at, at your endpoints, whether it's that endpoint detection, the antivirus on steroids, uh, whether it's multi-factor, two-factor authentication, whether it's technical policies saying, hey, what can come in and what can come out of my environment, out of my network, and even down to how do we protect those sensitive files, either how we're going to encrypt. You know, the, any sensitive files that we have sitting in the raw on our network. You, know, you look at all of those those elements put together. At the end of the day, you have to make sure that one, you're going to be able to conduct your business, and two, how do we do that securely? So, an interesting perspective, or maybe a, a change in our terminology or the things that we do within our customers, is maybe three years ago, I would say we want to deliver the best possible customer experience. That was a good comment three years ago. Now we've changed that. We want to deliver the best secure customer <laughs> experience. So we add that word secure. How can we securely do this? And yes, we need all those things that we mentioned in the layered security model. Uh, but generally, you were talking about third-party providers. If I'm at you know corporate environment, you know, ag retail USA, whichever one you want to call, and I'm accessing these applications in a cloud-based environment, you could be in a situation where that local corporate environment got infected with you know, some sort of cyber attack, but the third-party hosting provider or application provider uh, didn't get affected. You know, again, because of those tools, alignment the defense, that would be a very common path. Now, the end result's the same, right? The, the end user is down, whether it's that one system or the entire network, they may be down until they get that cleaned up and mitigated. Once they do, then they can start accessing their third-party applications. But generally, those third-party application providers are going to have their own lines of defense in just in case something comes from that client world that tries to infect that hosting environment. And that happens. We've seen that. And thank goodness for those tools because those tools are you know, blocking it. They're not going to allow it to traverse into that environment. That's actually maybe a, a benefit of some of these third-party hosting or application providers is they are putting those lines of defense in. While the ag retailer may not, at least that you know, some of the application levels, they are. And in that situation, what, what the threat actors are doing, they're saying, oh, okay, they're using some point of sale or an agronomy operations application that's in the cloud. We can't get to it. So as part of their interrogation efforts, they see, well, we can't go beyond this corporate environment. And so what can we get? Oh, we can get these Excel or Word or whatever files that are out there. Uh, but if they get to that third-party application provider, the, the door's locked. They can't do anything. Yeah, that makes sense where it could actually be helpful in that case. Well, we're talking, you know, mostly kind of about agribusinesses, but but what about farmers themselves? You know, do they need to be worried about cybersecurity or, or taking any action at the farm level? Yeah, that's, I, I feel like everybody should be concerned or aware of, of cyber uh, attacks, regardless of industry. You know, where are you in the food chain? Am I a 10-person company or am I a 10,000-person company? Everybody should be concerned about that. Now, obviously, 
some of this is a numbers game, right? That if, if I can, you know, influence and do harm as a threat actor to an environment that's sizable versus, you know, a small farming operation, you're, there's not a big, you know, lottery that I'm going to win if I attack and, and say, well, I didn't really get much on that one. Uh, but it's still not to say you shouldn't defend and have some of these same tools that we were talking about, the multi-factor and point detection, some of those same tools that large corporate environment should do, and you know, smaller environments, small farming operations should consider that as well. And some of that just gets down to, you know, okay, they're probably not gonna have as much data lifted out of their network. So they're probably not as a as an exciting of a target as as an ag retailer, because you know, an ag retailer could have you know thousands of employee records, thousands of customer records. Whereas a, a small farming operation or even any farming operation, well, they they might have some details about employees, but it's not like they have a big customer base, right? So, uh, and the vendor information is probably nothing that is that uh, relevant anyway. So I feel like at the farm level, farm gate is probably less of an interesting target. It's not to say everybody's targeted. I mean, you probably receive emails in your personal email as well. And I click these links and, hey, we change this and do that. and so you see it at all levels, but once someone got in and, and, and try to interrogate that environment, they're probably gonna lose a little bit of interest. But again, not to say don't don't defend and don't put those tools even in that environment, uh, but you don't generally hear much at that level. It's generally a bigger, if I can do harm to the bigger population, that's where a lot of time, energy and effort is gonna be spent. Right, and, and there is insurance available for this type of thing, right? Like cyber insurance. If so, is, is that a big part of the investment that you're advocating for, or is that totally separate? Well, I'd almost sound like an insurance broker. If I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's an interesting uh, thought on cyber, you know, so, and we were talking about how to allocate those dollars. My best tip of the day is if you don't have a cyber insurance policy, or even if you do, if you're going through that renewal process, that application process has gone from, let's say, three years ago where it was one page, you know, hey, tell me a little bit about your environment. One page, pretty cut and dry, pretty easy. Anybody could answer it almost. We've gone to where it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 pages over that three-year period. You see that progression as we move through time. The cyber insurance policies, they've lost a lot of, instead of making 3,000%, they only made 1,000%. So they're still making dollars, right? But they wanted to increase their profits on that. So they've really made those rules of the road a little bit more strict. And that's, they're having you define and map out your environment so they can say, either I will write you a policy or I won't write you a policy. That information is so valuable. And, and the tip of the day would be, go apply for a cyber insurance policy. Even if you don't intend to purchase a policy, apply for one. Because through that effort, you're going to respond to this questionnaire and you're going to find a lot of gaps. Even if you've applied or if you've had in cyber insurance policies for years, that form is getting longer and longer. You're still going to find gaps. Those gaps, in my opinion, should be how you say, here's how we're going to allocate and strategically apply those dollars that we spend. And that's going to help start protecting you know, your assets, your data and your technology assets. One interesting element on that is some of those areas may be such a big hole that they won't write a policy. If you get a provider that's unwilling to write a policy, you've got big issues <laughs> and you're going to get a much quicker, you know, highly prioritized list of, hey, these are the you know, two or three things I need to do today. Can't wait. Got to do it. 
some other things you might prioritize as you move through time. Uh, but there's going to be maybe three, two or three big showstoppers if you allow everybody who's a multi-factor or two-factor authentication, you know, where you get these challenge questions. Uh, so that's a big one. Uh, you may hear about uh, endpoint detection. Everybody's heard of antivirus software, endpoint detection or EDR solutions. I call an antivirus on steroids. Not only are they going to detect issues, if they see some anomalies, they're just going to shut your device down. So if you clicked on that email that looks so friendly and, and enticing from Mike, uh, once you click it, if there's some weird things that are going on in your system, it just shuts it down and says, no, uh, we're not going to allow that. Generally, those two things, like if you look two years ago, those were nice to haves. If you were looking at as it relates to cyber policies, now they're must haves. We're not going to write a policy if you don't do at least those two things. And then there's a whole layer of other security related things that that may push you out of a cyber policy. But again, apply for it or in, during your next renewal if you already have it. It's an excellent way to say, hey, here's our prioritized list, how we can spend those dollars. Right. And I mean, with you saying, you know, 91% of these attacks start with some sort of phishing email, I would imagine training your employees to watch out for those emails has got to be a big thing as well. Yeah, and actually, that's one of your best ROIs, kind of maybe my second helpful hint of the day. That's your cyber or phishing training tools. There's companies that provide that service, and they send out simulated emails, simulated attacks, and see, okay, who in our organization clicks them? And then, you know, there's training to set, help educate on what to look for and be mindful of before you click, kind of think before you click. Uh, but uh, there's also tools and stats that get reported back to management so we know who did that. But it's a pretty low-cost solution, and it would be difficult to find any other impressive ROI on some of these other tools that we mentioned earlier. Again, knowing that 91% originate from a phishing email, it's a pretty good return on your investment, and I highly encourage anyone to look at those tools or services to help prevent from entering, but we still have to have that layered security model because we can't rely on that. We know even at the end of the day, all the training that you go through, there's still gonna be some individuals, maybe they're newer to the organization, they haven't had training yet, whatever it may be, uh, there's still gonna be individuals that, that actually click on those. And I'm actually starting to see corporate policy wrap around that and say, maybe not three strikes you're out, but maybe six strikes you're out. You know, hey, We've had these simulated tests go out and six times you've clicked on it. You know, maybe second, third, we're going to start warning, fourth, fifth. It's going to be some you know, bigger consequences. But I'm starting to see companies actually put termination clauses in their tech agreements to say, hey, if you continue to do this, this is excessive. We're going to have to take action on that. Uh, so I've seen a couple of organizations do that. And that's kind of the early stages of it. Uh, but yeah, I think that's something we need to be mindful of as as end users. And again, knowing that 91% originate, you know, from users, that's a good discussion. You know, between again bringing in the board, bringing in the management. You know, hey, how do we want to handle this? Uh, but at some point, you know, enough's enough. And I think that's where some of these companies are coming from. If we can't trust it, that you're gonna not think before clicking, then these are the consequences of that. Right. And so in that case, that's a company that as part of their training process to get their employees not to click on phishing links, they're actually sending a simulated phishing email and the employee keeps 
clicking on it and they keep telling them, hey, don't do that. Don't click on those. But then like, you know, five, six times, they're still clicking on it and they're saying, look, this is not working. <laughs> this is not working because you're right. not getting it. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, they're, they're adjusting their, their technology policies, you know, within their handbooks to accommodate for that now. So again, I've, I've only heard of a few organizations that are doing that, but it's, I feel like that's going to become more common as we move through time. And these are new threats. You know, again, over the last three to five years, we've seen this this increase. Uh, so as as that increases, we're also seeing, OK, from you know an HR perspective, what's our messaging behind our, our technology policies or usage with our team members? So you're seeing that kind of catch up with those, you know, kind of policy match with some of the tools that are getting deployed. Uh, but, you know, during that cyber insurance, that's one of the questions they'll ask, you know, do you do any sort of phishing training with your team members? Uh, what is your policy? Those are questions that are going to come out of it. And this ties in, maybe this is my third helpful hint of the day, incident response planning. You may hear a term IDR. What is our plan if something happens? And it's almost like we're talking about cyber insurance. It's almost like, well, okay, if I'm looking at auto insurance, I don't get in a wreck and then consider buying auto insurance. <laughs> I want to do that ahead of time. You can't get in a wreck and then get auto insurance. They're not going to cover it. Yeah, so incident response planning is kind of our insurance. It's our path moving forward. If we have an attack, how are we going to handle that? And we don't want to figure that out in the time of an attack. We need to know what our plan is moving forward. Again, taking that holistic approach of incorporating the board, the leadership, the you know, technical. It's not just a tech discussion. It's a business discussion. And how do we loop in all those individuals and say, this is our plan. If something happens, this is what this team's going to do. This is how we're going to loop in legal or other forensics. You need to have that mapped out well before an attack. Well, you know, zooming out a little bit, just from a kind of global food system perspective, as our food system becomes, you know, more consolidated and more digital, with what you know about cybersecurity, do you become worried about, you know, the threats that could take place in the future um, that really could impact, you know, food security? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a compounded issue. You know, we can, and it, it takes all of us. Again, we were talking about you know, incorporating all at the board level, the management. Yeah, you even have to take that to these third party organizations. You know, hey, you are hosting this amount of data for us, or we're exchanging this data. How are we doing it securely? You know, so everybody's again back to my you know, rather than delivering a, a great customer experience, we want to deliver a secure customer experience. Everybody's going to be more focused on security as we move through time and not be so so casual about it. You know, we're, we're going to have it at the early stages in discussions, whether we're looking at maybe we're evaluating software to use you know, in our agronomy or business operations, wherever it may be. You know, so having that security conversation early on is going to be critical across individuals within and even external parties that you're either sharing or utilizing data, having that security conversation is going to be critical. Well, thank you very much to Mike Moore for sharing all of this information on the podcast. Such an important topic, one that we don't talk about near enough 
And uh, it's hard, right? I mean, all of us want to protect ourselves, but uh, getting these practical tips of where to start can really be the difference maker. So thank you very much to Mike. You can learn more about his work at efcsystems.com. And I'll also be sure to link to his crop life article that I mentioned at the top of the show in the show notes for today's episode. Hey, thanks so much to each and every one of you who continue to share these episodes with friends and on social media. Uh, Just off the top of my head, I know I saw um, a tweet from Connie Bowen this past week and from David Dahl and really all of you who continue to promote these episodes or think they're worthy of sharing with your friends and your network uh, really does make a big difference and I certainly appreciate it. And thanks for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.